Welcome to episode 11 of season 2 of the KBB Review Podcast. I'm your host as always, Andy Davis, and this is actually the penultimate full episode before we knock off for Christmas. And so as an early present, today's show is full of inspiration and wisdom. We have two very special guests with different backgrounds and at different stages of their KBB careers, but both have very inspirational approaches and both have a lot of inherent business sagacity. First up, we've got Theo Constanti of The Marble Group. They're a very successful London-based stone fabricator, but Theo has also just been named as Santander's most inspirational business mentor of the year, and he has such a great story to tell us. That's a good one. And then we have James Herriot of Callerton Kitchens, and I'm sure he won't mind me describing him as a veteran of the KBB industry, and he's seen economic crises come and go, and so his insight on the current situation and what businesses need to be doing is absolutely priceless. But first... Taylor's Media Shameless Plug Time, and it's another flag up for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021. Entries are now open. It's totally free to enter, and it's simply the biggest and longest-running awards in the UK and Ireland kitchen and bathroom sector. We've got awards for the best retailers, the best designers, and a special category for suppliers. To see all the categories and to find out how to enter, go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards. Now, in such uncertain times, we always like to talk to businesses that are absolutely rock solid. And so we're going to take that as literally as possible now by talking to Theo Constanti, who is the owner of Stone Fabricator, The Marble Group. Hello, Theo. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Very miserable and grey up here in the loft today, though. But I'm feeling it's a good day today. Yes, delighted to be on the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you very much. You're a very fascinating guy, which we'll get into in a bit. But let's talk a little bit about The Marble Group first now surfaces such a big business of course massive part of of any kitchen and bathroom project so tell us a bit about the marble group exactly what it is that you do so we we started in 2007 Um, i was 23 my business partner michael was 22 in my mum and dad's garage and we started making worktops for kitchen showrooms we grew from the garage and we moved to a shed over in colney heath we're from north london so north london and hertfordshire is where we're mainly based we now do projects for developers like Barclay Homes and Galliard Homes and main contractors like Mulally, Higgins, Elmers. But the lion's share of our work is the 150 or so kitchen showrooms that we look after in the southeast of England that we've been working with over the last 15 years. We've got a 50 strong team um, where we operate out of our 20,000 square foot factory in Wenham Green. Um, we'd like to think we're, uh, we're doing well for our kitchen showrooms and, and supplying them with kitchen workshops, which is where we focus our efforts at the moment. It's a very impressive setup and very impressive growth that you've got there. I mean, that, you're the kind of guys that the word entrepreneur is made for, really. Give us an idea of the sort of materials that you're dealing with there, because you're called the Marble Group, but, but you deal with pretty much all fabrication, don't you? Yeah, so when we started, it was all about marble and granite. Quartz wasn't even in the market. We were doing granite worktops, and that was 90% of our business, and we were working with some of the importers in the southeast of England. And then Quartz came on and, you know, a company like Cosentino came into the market and we grew with them, really. So they came out with Silestone, Decton, Sensor. And I'd say that 75% of worktops we do now are Quartz. So we work closely with with Cosentino, Silestone, Arts Cup, which is an entry-level brand, and Caesarstone. Uh, among a few others. And there's been a bit of a ceramic revolution in the last couple of years, Andrew. It is a very fast-moving area, that. How is business for you, you know, here and now in December at the moment? 
Before Christmas is always busy. Every fabricator in the country will tell you that. Before Christmas is manic, the world's going to end if people don't get their kitchen work done before Christmas. So we're, we're busier than we've ever been. Um, there's a lot of demand out there. Construction is absolutely flying. Um, and I know another, a lot of other businesses are suffering, especially those you know in the event sectors. But kitchen showrooms are busy. You can't find the builder at the moment. Builders are busy. And um, yeah, stone fabrication is really busy. You know, we're doing about 15 workshops a day at the moment. But I bet you weren't thinking that back in March, April. No, March, April, was, it was like a bad dream. It was like a nightmare. I mean, my business partner and I looked at it and we're like, right, if we have to go back to him doing all the templates, me running the office and doing the accounts and just being a two-person operation, can we afford to pay our mortgages and feed our families? It was it was that desperate, you know. Before they announced the initiatives, the bounce backs, the COVID loans, the furloughs, it was like we're shutting down and there's just no business. So, yeah, it's been a crazy year, Andrew. Absolutely crazy. How's the supply chain for you? That's been one of the issues that this pent-up demand has caused. But you're obviously bringing in, you know, massive big sheets of stuff. What's the supply chain been like through the really high demand period? Yeah, it's been challenging. I think that, you know, certain things we import from South America, Europe, around the world. The container situation at the course has been crazy. I don't know if you've been following the news, but Felix Stowe is just absolutely mayhem at the moment. The stuff we get on trucks from Europe, from Italy and Spain, that's been fairly steady. And we've been quite lucky, to be honest with you. Our biggest supplier, Cosentino, that supplied Decton and Charlestone, they've, they've had everything. They've, they've been there. I don't know how it's going to be after Brexit, but at the moment, the supply chain's been okay for us. I know kitchen showrooms are having a nightmare with their appliances. And we do ask them to have their appliances on site before we do any templates. But yeah, the stone industry is booming. And what about, as you say, the very high-end premium actual stone that you're bringing in, you know, from Brazil or whatever? What's that kind of supply chain like? Yes, it's been fine. It's been steady. The pound has been quite volatile this year, depending on where we are against the dollar or the euro. And that does affect the price at which we pay for our raw materials. But People keen to do business has been the same all over the world as it's been in the UK. You know, the Italians shut down. The big one was the containers on the ships because what happened was when COVID kicked off in March and April in the Western world anyway, they pulled their containers off the sea. They parked them up. And then obviously all the demand came back late summer, early autumn. And they, they you can't just put a container back into a ship back into transport. So getting that up and running and there's just been a global shortage on people being able to fulfill container orders and deliveries so things take a bit longer but i feel like since covid everyone's just that little bit more relaxed everyone's moving a little bit a little bit slower things ain't the end of the world anymore like they used to be everyone's in the same boat yeah literally (laughs) or stuck on the same boat yeah uh, have you noticed a change in the most popular types of materials people are ordering through 2020? Because I'm wondering whether the focus of designers and consumers has moved on to hygiene, cleanliness, that have become so forefront for obvious reasons, whether people are, are looking for that much more in the materials they're using. Quartz by nature is antibacterial, it's non-porous. So as long as you keep it clean, it's actually a very hygienic surface. So some of the colours like Arts Cut Mysterio is really big. The Soulstone Calicutta Gold is big. Caesar Stone got a raw concrete that's really popular. The, the popular colours that were popular are still popular. But it's the ceramic revolution, really, like Decton, Nearly, X Stone by Porcelanosa. 
the ceramics have flown lately. Everyone wants it. It's stain resistant. It's heat resistant. It's scratch resistant. It's stronger than any other product on the market. It looks amazing. Some of the colours. You get the real look and feel of marble without the the imperfections that marble brings. The cleanliness and hygiene aspect as a bullet point of the benefits of quartz can only be enhanced by what's happened through this year, I think. We've talked a lot about the shortage of, of skilled installers on, on various episodes of this podcast, but skilled fabricators, stonemasons really, they must be pretty thin on the ground when demand is high. I mean, they're only more than doctors at the moment, to be honest with you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> There's a no, there is this. There's a massive shortage of skilled labour. We've always tried to grow our people at the Marble Group. Our fitting manager and template manager have been with us for 10 years plus. So we always find it better to try and grow people through the company to embed them with our values, the way we do things. My business partner is very skilled at the trade. I mean, he grew up being a stonemason and learning the industry. So I think having him on board. Being able to train and teach staff how to do the job has been a godsend for our company. But yeah, when it comes to recruiting, it's, it's, it's challenging. There's nothing for it. So recently, there's been something set up called the Worktop Federation of Fabricators. That's a new initiative that was launched at the um, KBB show. As you know, we were there. We were, we were the only fabricator there exhibiting. And it's been really successful and it's getting momentum. And it's all about making sure stone companies get on board and creating some sort of trade where people can learn. Because you can go and do a plumbing course and become gas safe. You can go and do an electrician's course and become an NIC engineer. How do you become a stonemason doing worktops? There's no body for it. So this is something that hopefully will happen in the near future to help promote good standards. Literally, stonemasons must be the the second oldest profession in the world. Uh, (laughs) That element of a kitchen is clearly one of the most visible. It requires such skill to get it to look right and to get it to fit correctly that, you know, as you say, it's so valuable, it's hard to understand why lots of people can't see that they can earn a lot of money doing it. Yeah, I mean, look, there has been a machinery revolution as well. Let's not forget that we used to do all of our bowls by hand. You know, a stonemason will sit there, do the polish sink cut out, do the drainer grooves. Now, we put it on the Intermax CNC machine and within an hour it's done. The skilled part is the templating, the fitting, the mitres, the joining it, the quality control throughout the process. But gone are the days where a guy will get a chisel and a hammer and start banging at the stone to make it look pretty. Not in the kitchen worktop industry anyway. I think there's stonemasons and there's stone fabricators and worktop masons, if you like, and they're two different things. Just like you can have a plumber who fixes taps and sinks and bathrooms, but you have the gas engineer that can fix the boiler. They're under the same umbrella, if you like, but they're two different things. And it's the same in our industry. You know, there's stonemasons, yes, but it's more stone worktop finishers that employers need to find people to do. Let's talk a bit more about you personally, because you you run the Marble Group, as we've just been discussing, but you've also just been named as Santander's Most Inspirational Business Mentor of the Year. Now, that's a very grand title. Tell us a little bit more about that. Explain to us what that actually means. Yeah, so as part of running a business, we we finance certain parts of our operation. We've got a mortgage on our our building and, and, and we take finance against our machinery and one of the banks we went with was Santander and one of the uh, bank managers asked me said there you know you've been in business for a long time you clearly have something to offer 
would you be interested in joining our business mentor program? It's for mentoring ahead, which promotes women in the business workplace and women businesses and taking on a mentee. I needed the loan. So of course I said, yes, <laughs> I've been helping my kitchen showrooms that I work with grow over the course of years. So a very good friend of mine, Sheraton Interiors, Shearer, has been on your podcast. We're very close. We encourage and support each other. So I've got that experience in helping businesses grow and helping people where I can. And I help this this business out and my my skills lie mainly in sales and marketing. And she was really happy after six months. She put me forward for this event. They gave me the award, which I was really surprised to get and grateful for. It's great for the Marble Group. It's good for me, obviously, and go to schools and try and do talks. I don't know if you know, but I lost my hand in a motorbike accident when I was 17 years old. And I went through a bit of adversity. I still managed to go to university. I got my degree in economics. I started my first business when I was 20. And yeah, I've been, I've been growing ever since. I'm fortunate enough to be a member of the Academy of Business Leaders and Entrepreneurs. I used to be in a, a, a BNI chapter, which is a business networking group. I was there for six years. I was the chapter director of one that was the largest of its kind in the UK. And yeah, I really do promote helping other businesses and business growth and, and helping people grow as well, which is really important to me and all of us at the Marble Group. So I think it's simple as giving someone a good book to help them learn about a different part of work or their lives that may help them. If you, if you put people first, the good business will follow. I'm sure I join a lot of people listening to this now, Theo, by saying thanks for making us all feel really bad about ourselves <laughs> and how little we've achieved in our lives. <laughs> uh, this has been an inspiration, you know that. <laughs> Here we go then. You are an inspirational business mentor. It's official now. You've got a trophy to prove it. So, you know, inspire us with some advice here on what you think independent retail businesses in the KBB sector need to be thinking about right now as 2020 draws to a, a very welcome close. Grow your individual network always. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So you need to grow. I think there's a, there's been a marketing revolution, you know, that's for sure. Kitchen relay tailors, they need to be looking at search engine optimization, Facebook marketing, Google pay-per-click. This will generate leads. And then the next part of generating leads is the conversion of those leads into sales. So at the Marble Group, we offer a sales training for our kitchen showroom who will go in and work with their kitchen designers on how to, I don't like the word close, but encourage more people to buy kitchens. And it's simple things. And if you're not growing and you're not learning and you're not around some someone that can help you, then you're in the wrong place. Never stop learning. Read a book. Join a mastermind group. Build a network. Don't be scared to make mistakes. And, and invest in your business because the kitchen industry is thriving at the moment. And hopefully next year it will continue to, to thrive. Do you think that's the main thing that small business owners need help with? It's that ability to step back from the day to day and, and take a, a broader, higher level view of what their business is. They're so ingrained in the, in the getting the job done on a day to day basis that they never, ever look back at it as a whole. I always was my most effective when I was on holiday. Because I, I was allowed to go away for a week or two, think about things, and I came back with all the ideas. Sometimes if you are just working in your business, you're not working on it. And it's such a cliche, I do know that, but it's true and it doesn't need a lot. So a podcast on the way to work. I've listened to 45, 46 of your podcasts. I've learned so much about the kitchen industry just listening to you and the people you've had on the show. The last guy you had about sustainability was incredible, inspired me. 
So if I'm learning that in a podcast on my way to work in the morning, and then I can listen to an audible book on the way home or read something 15 minutes before I go to bed at night. I'm, I'm growing. I'm helping my business. So, yeah, a lot of company owners, it would help them to put systems and processes into the business because people don't run a business. Systems run a business and the people run the systems. Do you know how long it takes McDonald's to train a new member of staff? Four hours. They can get a young person in to manage a restaurant with 30 staff and in 16 days, they've got a restaurant manager running a business, turning over two and a half million pounds because there's a system for everything. There's a sign on the wall saying, you know, how to change a bin. Take out the black bag, bend down, tie it in a knot, turn around, put it out the back. And systems are, are the key to, to growing a business, you know, and every part of your business has a system. You have a marketing system. So, you know, you have a system to attract prospects to your website. Then you have to convert those prospects into clients. You need a sales system. You need some sort of script to help encourage people that have engaged with you online to come into your showroom. The follow-up system has to be there. Someone leaves your kitchen showroom. When are you going to call them back next? When are you going to email them back? It's not the person. It's the system and the process. And, you know, you need a system designed to make a sale. And that might be a script. That might be, you know, an offer. Build the systems. The systems run the business and the people run the system. And there's actually a great book called The System is a Secret, which... You know, I'd encourage all your listeners to go for and get a business coach. That helps too. If there's one thing that's come out of a lot of the conversations I've had uh, since March when all this happened, it's being open to ideas and accepting the fact that you don't know everything and listening to other people's point of view on something that is very personal to you and then acting on it, even though it might be difficult, is a big part of what moving forward is all about. Absolutely. Learning, growing. And that's why I love reading so much. As soon as we have a new member of staff, we give them a book to read to, to understand what we're all about. My management team, they have to read a book every quarter. We'll discuss it. I'm part of a book club myself. Every month I meet up with a couple of friends. We choose a book on different subjects, not always business. Can be anything. Learning and growing. Theo, I mean, this is all very inspirational stuff, but there's one more inspirational answer I need you to give us, and that is to inspire us all to sit down and watch a film. So we need to know the most important question: What is your entry for the playlist of the Silence of the Laminates? Well, uh, it can only be one for me. The guy that started with nothing that fought his way up to the top of the world, and that is Rocky. Rocky Balboa himself. Oh, I see. Now that's just one of my favourite ever movies. <laughs> you can't beat that for an inspirational story. Everyone always forgets about Rocky because it's a very inspiring story, and it's, but it's very uplifting. Is that he lost the fight, but no one cared because he, was, he still won, because he won the girl. Yes. Well, he drew, didn't he, in the first one? He drew the first, but he didn't win. The story is leading up to him beating Apollo Creed, but of course he doesn't beat him. But he's still a winner because he grows as a person and wins the girl. And then, of course, in Rocky Two, he does beat Apollo Creed, but that's not the important bit. <laughs> and then in Rocky Three, he gets a robot. It all gets a bit weird. But the first Rocky, amazing. Andrew, I just, I just want to say thank you to you and the team at the KBB Review. You're doing an amazing job. Your podcasts have been incredible for me to listen to and for most listeners out there. So... From behalf of the entire industry, thank you so much. Well, and thank you, Theo. And just so you know, I'm going to cut out everything else you said apart from that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thank you for sparing us a bit of time. It's a fantastic story you've got there, and we will catch up again soon to see what 2021 brings for you. Thanks, Andrew. Look forward to seeing you again soon. 
Okay, let's get some views on the market now from someone who knows the kitchen sector inside out and in the most positive and complimentary use of the phrase possible is a real industry veteran. So we're very lucky to be able to tap into the experience of James Herriot from Callerton Kitchens. Hello, James. Are you there? I'm here, Andy. Good to speak with you. Good to speak with you too, sir. What's the weather like where you are right now? It's a bright blue sky. So, yeah, it's lovely looking out of my office window here. Well, that's that's not how you expect someone to describe weather in the northeast. It really isn't. It's always it's always good up here. <laughs> of course it is. Okay, most people will have heard of Callerton, of course, but can you give us the sort of potted history and the current scope of the business to get an idea of its scale here? Great friend of mine, Gordon Stanglees, and I founded the company... 40 years ago, we were in property. Very simply, we did the design construction work and that's how we got into kitchens because people saw the work we did and asked us to do their kitchens. And at that stage, we were using a German product and after, uh, I think, two kitchens arrived and neither were the right ones, we were very young, stupid and naive and thought we should go and open our own manufacturing business, which we did, as I say, almost 40 years ago. We were originally retail in Newcastle, Durham, uh, Northumberland. We had three outlets, but we recognised that manufacturing and retail, we needed a bigger catchment. And that's how we then went into providing kitchens to various big builders and whatever. We met the property collapse of, what, the late, well, 80s, 90s, and um, decided we'd be better working with independent design-led kitchen specialists. And that's exactly where we are today in that we manufacture product for 40 independent retailers from Aberdeen, Inverness, Surrey, Belfast, you know, so we we cover the UK, but work very, very closely with our dealerships. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's obviously a very substantial and very experienced business that you have there. And like you say, you do have a very close relationship with those retailers. It's not just a supplier retail relationship there, is it? No, it's, um, you know, various of our dealerships, well, the longest standing is obviously was the original one that we set up in, in Newcastle, but that's an independent dealership now. We've worked with people like Cambridge Kitchens for well over 30 years. We've worked with Kitchens International since they started. But it, it, we do. It's very much a partnership and relationship business. And, you know, we're very into design and service and driving things forward it you know we like to think we're innovative as i said at the beginning there you've been in the industry a long time uh, and again i mean that in a polite as possible way you've seen crises come and go given we're at such a pivotal point in the current one i thought it'd be great to get your view on where we are and what you think might happen next so look let's start with the obvious question here how is business for you right here right now I think it's maybe worth going back a fraction and say, you know, in March, before furlough and things and lockdown were announced, that was a an interesting position to be in as a director of a company. You know, we employ 50 people in the factory 
and running a factory and paying wages without any income is a pretty scary situation. You did say I've been in the industry for a long time. I've worked through four recessions and potentially about to hit a fifth. That does help you and that you have a viewpoint and understanding that you must react. You know, it's no good waiting for things to happen. Very simply, at that time, we had to close for six weeks because our supply chain stopped. We made a personal decision six weeks in to come back and operate for three weeks to find out whether we could operate or not, given all the restrictions and regulations that were put forward. And I'm delighted to say that we have never stopped since. That first quarter, well, April, May, uh, June, was most likely the worst results we've ever had in our 40-year history. July, August, September is one of the most, well, it was a record. And actually the same for this quarter. That's an astonishing turnaround, isn't it? It is, it is. From day one, just to give people an idea, we as a company, we had to furlough people because we couldn't operate at that time. But actually seven of us have been operational since day one. And we were very much in touch with all of our dealers and their staff and everything else and looking at everything we could possibly do to be positive and look at what could and couldn't be done. But that's the way we operate with our people. And are you seeing that level of demand continuing into December now? Absolutely. Funnily enough, December again is going to be, well, the quarter will be another record quarter and we're seeing good business into the new year. But I I would warn everybody that pent-up demand creates business. I think there's big opportunities ahead for for our industry, but sitting on our laurels is not the thing to do. We are very much looking at the second, third, fourth quarters of next year and how we help drive business for our dealers. And obviously that relates back to us. And are you predicting a slow tail-off of demand or are you seeing the moment that we're allowed to go out again, a sudden drop-off? As I've said many times over the years when working through recessions and whatever, the big one is if the market is smaller, and there are going to be a lot of people hit financially, but then you've got to go and take a bigger share of that smaller market. And that means being very focused on what you're doing. Let's delve into that a little bit more, because while you've never dealt with a pandemic before, nobody has unless you were alive in the 1600s, you have dealt obviously with recessions and downturns. You've mentioned a couple already, but what are the common threads or advice or lessons learned that you can apply to what's happening now, do you think? I think my biggest one to everybody would be to look at your business model. And ours is a very simple business model. We look to create innovative quality products where furniture manufacturer, but it's looking at being smarter. You know, what are the opportunities to drive that forward? How can we pass that on to our dealers? Do everything better. A massive one that we've done since March 
Prior to March, we set up a new training suite and centre at our factory head office in Sunderland, and we developed what we call a design technician training programme. Obviously, that was residential, so it was a massive failure because we couldn't have anybody to come and do it. We've turned that into an online programme whereby we've created audiovisual modules and, and projects and whatever. To me, the big one is doing everything better. If you cut out every mistake before it happens, it puts money on your bottom line. I just think being smarter, cleverer, doing the job better, that means you've got more time to do other things and look after your customers and whatever. That is probably the most succinct bit of advice that I've ever heard in my life, and it is absolutely spot on. Do ever, Just do everything better. So simple and yet so effective, isn't it? You can read a million different books about business strategy, but ultimately it always comes down to that, doesn't it? It is. It, I mean, one of my biggest frustrations in the industry is the lack of education and people stopping and learning to do things correctly. You know, I, I regularly hear a thing being put forward about people being too busy being busy, so they don't stop to look at the mistakes they're doing. If you create a company that resolves issues before they happen, particularly in our industry where big sums of money are involved, the difference to your business is enormous, but it, it needs buy-in from the dealer principals and senior staff. We've tried to attack this from the bottom end in the, with new people coming in as design technicians. If we can train them to spec code cost order and do the whole furniture side of the business correctly, that actually benefits us, but also in a big way the business that they work within and the people around them. But that would be my biggest piece, 40 years of involvement in the industry. Just stop and learn and do things better. Training and education in the industry has always been such a big passion of yours, and we've always talked about it whenever we've met. Do you think that the current situation and the lessons that people may have learned through this may actually in the long run, help the skills gaps, the skills shortages that exist, because people really have realised the importance of true skills and true learning through this experience. I do, Andy. I, I, we as a company, and I'm, well, I don't know when I should admit this, I currently get my old age pension. You know, I've had a lot of time to look at the past, but we've had to adapt massively, you know, in the last, since March. And, you know, we've learned completely new tricks. Creating audiovisual modules involved me learning to turn my dressing room at home into a recording studio via a mate. He was a sound engineer with the BBC. But all these new things, you know, video conferencing, we were very lucky in that we'd set up our new training suite with all this there and ready but we're now using it in a completely different manner than we ever envisaged, say, in January. So I do, I think there's a massive opportunity to get training put together as a, a mainstay of the industry. Prior to March, we were working and still are working with the likes of BSH, with Bloom, 
with Frankie Karen, with Constantino. You know, we've been working with a group looking at how we could integrate our training. And I do. I think this whole new situation, there's an opportunity for the industry to really reset a new way of training. I personally would love to see that. This may sound like an odd question, James, but you've been in the industry a long time. Is there a part of you that's quite enjoyed the last few months? Now, my wife shouldn't hear this. I, I'm, I see myself as very lucky, Andy, in, in that I live in, you know, I live next door to the River Tweed. I have a big garden. I can walk for miles. I, I actually, I'm doing this from my office, which is a separate building outside my house. There are aspects of this, learning new things, driving things. I'm a great believer you can sit there and feel sorry for yourself or you can, you know, the situation is what it is. You have to go make the best of it. My wife would tell you that coming and knocking on my um, office window late in the evening, particularly in the earlier parts of the, the pandemic, Yes, it would be wrong if I say I got nothing out of this. I've learned a massive amount personally and, and enjoyed working with a lot of other people in, in making things happen. See, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, I think. Well, as, as a totally uneducated person, I always say I tend to be the person in the room with the least amount of qualifications. I've always had to get on and make things happen. Yes, but you're probably the one in the room who has the most amount of curiosity. Funnily enough, I was talking with one of the young design technicians this morning who's currently doing our training. And she'd come to one of the few residential courses we did at the beginning of the year. And she found it very hard to ask the awkward questions. And I always said, well, I tend to be the one sitting in the room who's quite happy to turn around and get, say, I don't understand what you're saying at all. And you suddenly find out other people think the same, but they've never said it. And that's why you're a successful guy even now. I could talk to you all day about this, James. I really could, obviously. And we will catch up again about it, I promise, in the future. But for now, we have to answer the most important question facing the industry, which is, of course, what is the most positive feel-good movie that you would watch? It is, of course the James Herriot entry into the silence of the laminates. So, James, what are you going to go for? Oh, dear me. That's a hard one. How about I put one in from my very, very young days that nobody will have heard of, Swiss Family Robinson. Oh, I love that film. (laughs) There you are. (laughs) With John Mills, one of the very early Disney films. Well, there you are. That's a very, very good choice. Classic story, classic movie. James, thank you for sparing us so much time today. I really do appreciate it. If we take anything away from this, I think it's just do things better. So thank you very much, sir, and we will catch up again soon. Great. Thanks, Andy. Delighted to speak with you. Massive thanks to Theo from the Marble Group and James from Callerton, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who now has just do things better at the top of my list for 2021. If you enjoyed this episode, then we have loads more in our archive and the best way to find them is by using the podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Just search KBB Review, all one word, and you'll find us. You can then also subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and leave us a glowing rating and review because that would be a lovely Christmas present. Thank you very much. See you next time.